All right. Well, uh, good morning again. Welcome to HCO. It's so great to have you here today. And uh, we have something as we are getting started here and getting jumped in. Uh, I just want to tell you, we have something pretty cool for those of you who are right here alive at the downtown venue that's happening our first time ever actually today. So we uh, are over in the campus meeting as well. And we got bumped from the ballroom, which is our normal room, over to the Union Theater. And so we're actually live streaming this service from here over into the theater so that we can do two services there this morning, which is really cool. We're also having H2O Akron join us via video, which is another really exciting thing. And I think I think as we start off this, it's always uh, such a cool reminder of me whenever we have to, to get bumped around and moved and changed of just God's faithfulness and what he's done in this church. Remember when I was first on staff over in the Union Theater, that's where we met every Sunday and we struggled to get it like halfway full. And now when we get bumped uh, back into the Union Theater, we have to go to three different services and it's so cool just to see what God has continued to do as he's added to our family and lives have been changed and amazing things have happened. So if you're joining us uh, via live stream or at HO Akron, welcome. It's great to have you here in HO Akron. You're only a year and a half old, and we dream of the day when you get bumped out of that theater that you're meeting in at Akron and have to add more people and add more seats. And it's a really cool testament of God's faithfulness and what he is continuing to do. So if I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is Brian Wiles. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are jumping into a new series, as you heard, uh, as we are going to be journeying through the book of Exodus over the next six weeks. We're really excited to jump into the book of Exodus because there are so many things that we can learn from it. And so uh, as we get started, I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament, the second book that is written uh, in the, the Bible. And so as we look at it, it is really a story of God's faithfulness. It's a, a story of kind of mountaintop moments and valleys where God takes his people through some amazing experiences where God literally intervenes and, and keeps his promises. And it's really the story of the birth of a nation, the birth of the nation of Israel and how God's promises play out throughout this story. And so as we're kicking off this series today, we're going to need to do some background work. We're going to need to kind of get some context as to what's going on, because what is happening in Exodus was really set up in the book before in Genesis. And if you know, if you're ever trying to follow like a really good story and you don't have the context of it, you don't know what was going on in that story, you can oftentimes be completely lost, right? And it can lead to some frustration. I was thinking about that just as a as way of analogy here as we're getting started. I was thinking about that with Star Wars. There's some Star Wars fans, right? There's some Star Wars, I guess some you affectionately call yourselves nerds sometimes, right? There's some Star Wars people. And, and so as you think about that, the, the Star Wars kind of, you know, there's eight or nine or ten different movies. I'm obviously not a Star Wars fan. I don't know all that much about it. But the first one came out in like the late 70s, but it actually wasn't the first one. It was the fourth one. Is that right? And so uh, if you didn't know the background on that story, you were a little bit confused. And if you don't keep up with it, there's all these different characters that are coming in and out of these different stories. Well, in, in December of 2017, the eighth one came out, right? And there was a lot of fanfare around uh, the, the Star Wars, you know, eighth movie that was coming out. And a lot of our staff, they, they love Star Wars. They're really into it. 
And so uh, we, the, the eighth one came out. We were at our prayer time the next week, and we usually have like 10 minutes or so at the beginning of our prayer time where we just kind of connect. Hey, did you do anything fun over the weekend? Did you, did you see anything cool? And so, of course, that week, uh, our staff, they started talking about Star Wars and all these different things that are going on. And so as they're talking about how amazing Star Wars was and all the different turns that happened, I'm trying to be engaged, you know, because they listen to my stories, you know, they, they, they pay attention to me and probably things that they don't care about. So I'm trying to be engaged, but the things they were saying and like the names they were saying made no sense to me whatsoever, you know. Uh, they, they were saying things like Jar Jar, and um, I'm like, what's a Jar Jar, you know? And they were talking about these different characters and these plot twists. They were talking about um, this, this Snoke guy that, um, that got killed off. He was this supreme leader that got killed off, and I am completely lost. And then they said there's this moment at the end of the story where Luke Skywalker, who I've heard that name, but again, don't know anything about him, might have died. Sorry, spoiler alert, if you haven't you know, if you haven't watched it, but you can't really be a Star Wars fan if you haven't watched it by now, right? So I'm not too worried about spoiler alert. But they, they, they told me that like something weird happened with Luke Skywalker where he might have died from exhaustion or might have joined the force or something. And so I was completely lost, is my point, as they were trying to tell me about this story. The reason I was completely lost is because I had no context no background, no understanding of the seven or so different movies that came before it and what order they came out in. And so as we dive into the book of Exodus, as we're kicking off this series, I want you to know that it is extremely important that we do a little bit of setup, a little bit of background work, because some of the things that we're going to read in chapter one, at first glance, you might just hear them and think, oh, you know, let's just glaze over that. That's not that big of a deal. But they're massively important to God's story and God's promises as what he is teaching us through this. But we have to understand the backdrop of what's going on here. So as we dive into Exodus, we have to go back to Genesis. Genesis, if, if you're familiar with it, all of us, or at least to some extent, have heard probably the story of Adam and Eve, that God is this good creator, this amazing creator. He created the world in perfection and as he created the world perfectly, he had this perfect relationship with Adam and Eve, the, the first male and the first female. And they lived in harmony with God, and they lived in harmony with the world. And God created them good, and it was this beautiful thing. But it didn't last long, right? We know that shortly after that, sin entered into the world. Eve was tempted. Adam followed Eve. He tried to blame it on her. They tried to blame it on each other. Either way, sin entered into the world. And so now this amazing place... This world that God created to live in harmony with him was now broken. And, and there's brokenness that enters into the world through sin. So sin starts to play out. And just like it does right now, in this day, in this moment, sin got ugly quick. Right? And so the world quickly looked much different than the way that God created it to be. And there were people that were killing each other. And, and there was brokenness. And there was pain. And there was disharmony. And so God looks at this world uh, we have Noah and the flood. We have these different things that are playing out. But even in the brokenness, God looks at the world, and, and he finds this man, Abraham. This man, Abraham, who is faithful and still, even in a broken world, living by faith, following God. And God looks at Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And your descendants will go on to bless every single nation that lives in the rest of the world. So not just your descendants, they won't be blessed, but your descendants will bless every other person that ever lives and walks on this earth. 
So God makes this promise to Abraham, this massive promise in Genesis 12 that much of what we're going to read about in Exodus is based off of. So this is where the Star Wars things come in. You have to know the promise that God made to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you and turn you into a great nation, and that nation will bless every other nation. Now here's the funny part of that story if you know anything about it. When God tells Abraham, I'm going to use you and your descendants to be a blessing to everyone, Abraham is 100 years old, okay? And his wife is 90, and they have no kids, okay? And so God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. And Abraham's like, not possible, God. You don't understand. These bones are dried up. I'm 100 years old, you know? And he tells his wife this, and his wife's like, no, 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 no. That ain't happening. I'm 90 years old, you know? I'm paraphrasing. But I'm guessing it was something like that. Can you imagine being this 90-year-old woman and hearing that God is going to give you a child, and that child is going to go on to be a blessing to the rest of the world? So God does keep his promise in this miraculous way, and God allows Sarah, this 90-year-old woman, to become pregnant and have a child. And, and, and as they have this child, Abraham will go on to die, but he's clinging to this promise that God is going to use that one child somehow, some way, to bless and be a blessing to every nation. God actually says, listen, your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. And so as that happens, uh, the family of Abraham, they start to grow a little bit. Some series of droughts and things happen. And the family of Abraham, the, the grandchildren now, and the great-grandchildren end up in Egypt. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Exodus. It's very early on in this promise that God made to his people and made to Abraham. And we're going to d explore and discover how that promise actually plays out in the book of Exodus. That's the backdrop that we have to know. And so as we jump into that, uh, I want to give you our big idea for what today is going to look like. And really the big idea for uh, today is the big idea for the whole series that we're going to be looking at with Exodus. The big idea is this. God draws us out so that we can be drawn in. God draws us out so that we can be drawn in. In fact, the, the, the book of Exodus, the title Exodus, is actually uh, the Greek word for drawn out. And what we're going to see throughout this, this book is that God oftentimes is drawing people out. He's going to draw Moses out, as we see today in, in uh, Exodus chapter 1 and 2. God is going to draw his people out of Egypt. He's going to pull them out, and he's going to part the Red Sea, and he's going to take them into the promised land, which he promised them that they would inherit in that original promise that he gave to Abraham. And we're also going to see that God draws his people out oftentimes and takes them through hardship and pain and suffering. And so as we think about that, God draws us out so that he can draw us in. Maybe you're even here and you're feeling a little bit drawn out. You know, you're feeling like God's kind of put you through the ringer. You're feeling like you're in a situation in life where things aren't going exactly how you thought that they would. Or God isn't doing exactly what you thought that he would for your life. And so you're feeling drawn out. And our hope throughout this series, our hope throughout today, is that you would see if you're feeling drawn out here today, that God is faithful. And God is drawing you out, but he's not doing it without a purpose and a plan. God is drawing you out so that he can, in fact, draw you in, draw you closer to him, keep his promises to you, and give you that abundant life that God has promised. So let's open up Exodus, and let's dive in together, and let's see what the word of God teaches us about God and his promises. We're going to be in the very beginning of Exodus chapter 1. 
Remember the backdrop that we just talked about because it's going to come in really handy here very early. Exodus chapter 1, we'll look in verse 1. And we're going to stop at three different points and pull out what we can learn. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. It says, These are the names of the son of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Nebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. There's where my seminary degree came in handy. Sometimes we joke that's the only you know, value of a seminary degree, being able to read those bad names. Sorry if any of my professors are watching. Just kidding. That's not true. But um, that's where it came in. Okay. The descendants of Jacob, verse 5. Don't let my joke sidetrack you. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Jacob was that son that God promised Abraham. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers in that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly, increasing in number, and they became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And we're going to stop right there. It's our first point. God is always working a good plan. God is always working a good plan. Remember the Star Wars thing? How do you pull that from that text? It says that the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. And then, just a few verses later, we see that that nation was multiplied, and their numbers increased drastically. In fact, biblical scholars say at that point, and we get to to Exodus chapter 1, it's about 400 years after God gave that original promise to Abraham. 400 years later, they went from one man with one child to around two million people. 400 years. One man, one child, two million people now. Why? Because they were multiplying greatly and God was increasing them and the land was filled with them. And so God is keeping his promise to Abraham as we read this. Just one generation later, Joseph is a great grandson of, uh, of Abraham and there's only 70 of them. And then a few years later, uh, a couple hundred years later, now there's nearly two million. See, God is keeping his promise to his people. He's multiplying his number. Remember when he said, I'm going to make you a nation that outnumbers the stars in the sky? Well, they're doing pretty good. They're on track to hit that because they're in the two million range after a couple hundred years. God is allowing his promise to come to fruition. God's always working a good plan. He always is working a good plan. And oftentimes, as we look about our lives, that is something that we sometimes wonder and question. I wonder about for you, if you really believe that at the core of who you are, that God is in control, that, that we, we aren't like deists who believe that God just set this earth into motion and then just lets it play out however random chance allows it to. No, God is actively working in our world, in our lives, and God is always working a good plan, a plan that will oftentimes lead for our good and will always lead for God's glory. God is working his plan at the beginning of this book of Exodus, and we're seeing his promise come true. As people are multiplying, as people are growing, he's working a plan, and God is working a good plan in your life. He's working a good plan in our church. He's working a good plan in your family. Whether you see it or not, he is. That's the type of God he is. He loves you. He cares for you, and he has a good plan. Let's jump back in and see how that that good plan works out. Verse 8, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came 
to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, they must deal shrewdly with them, or they will be even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies against us, and they will leave the country. The Egyptians who were in this territory that the Israelites were growing in started to get fearful because these Israelites were multiplying so fast. They were afraid. What if they outnumber us? They'll overtake us. And so they put slave masters over them to oppress them and force labor with them. And they built Pidom and Ramsey in the citadels for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And they worked them ruthlessly. And they made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the field. And in their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Remember, God's always working a good plan. But listen, here's number two. And I think that this is something we see all the time. God's plan rarely plays out the way we think it should. God's always working a good plan, but man, it rarely plays out the way that we think that it should. Did you catch what's going on here? God's multiplying the nation. As he's multiplying the nation, the the Egyptians start to freak out because all of a sudden God's people are outnumbering them. And can you imagine being in a place where there's a lot of war and there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of kind of trying to figure out whose land is whose. And if another nation that's living on your land outgrows you and they band together, they're going to take you over. And so the Egyptians start to see the Israelites as threats. And they say, we can't allow this to happen. This is something we have to stop. And so they put them in slavery. They enslave them because they're afraid of them. And even more than that, as we heard read from the word of God, and as we look in verse 22, it says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is to be born must be thrown in the Nile, but let every girl live. So not only are they in slavery, but now, They're being systematically weeded out. They're being systematically exterminated. God's people, the people he gave the promise to, the people he loves, the people he has a plan for, the people that he's working a good plan for, now are in slavery and they're being systematically thinned out. Can you imagine the pain that that must have caused during that time? You know, I talk about going to, to Colorado a decent amount. We love going out to Colorado. We have a leadership program out there. We go out there almost every year, my family and I. And there's this rule when you're in Colorado. If you're out in nature, you know, it's always fun to see different animals when you're out there. And you're living in the Rockies, so you get to see a lot of different animals. Well, the rule is if you see a bear, that's okay. Because oftentimes bears are, are scared of you, right? So if you're out in nature and you see a bear, it's okay. You just kind of get loud. You can look at them. But they're probably scared of you, so they'll probably run away. But if you see a bear with cubs, run and be scared, right? Because a mama bear is way different than just a bear, right? A, a mama bear is something you don't want to mess with. And then we have that same phrase that we use for, you know, moms in our culture, in our world, right? Don't we? Maybe some of you are mama bears, right? And, and the, the concept with mama bears is you don't mess with a mama bear like a human mama bear when her kids are in trouble, you know? If a mom sees that somebody's mistreating her kid, they will do things that you never imagined possible for a woman to do. You know, you don't mess with a mama bear's kids because there's something about that maternity nature that says, I will run you over. I will do anything I have to do. If you mess with my kid, you're in trouble. And it's like, you look at the dad, you're like, can you do something about that? And he's like, no, no, I can't actually. 
there's no way. I'm just getting out of the way just like you, right? We know that mothers have this special, amazing bond with their children, don't they? And imagine God's people, men and women, mothers especially, having to be in the situation where they literally had to put their children in the Nile River. It's not like a small stream. It's a river that is roaring. And once you sent your child into that river, there's no way that they're recovering. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the heartache? There had to be gnashing of teeth. There had to be screaming. They had to probably pry these infants out of the hands. The mothers during that time. See, God was working his plan, but his plan certainly didn't look anything like what God's people thought it would look like. God's plan certainly could not look anything like it. And if you're sitting in that moment, if you're sitting in that situation, then you have to touch yourself saying, God, where are you in this moment? You have to catch yourself grabbing a mic right now because your <laughs> microphone is not working. Can you imagine, though, how heartbreaking that would have been? God was working this plan to his people, and yet as he was playing it out, they were in pain. You know, I, I think about another story about my kids and maybe some of you who've been through um, a, a season of hurt in your life. Maybe it's been a, a physical season. Uh, my, my youngest or my middle son, Sam, uh, he fell off the monkey bars and broke his arm one time. And as he fell off the monkey bars and he broke his arm, he was, uh, we had to take him to the hospital and it was a pretty bad break. And so there were surgeons that came in. And as the surgeons came in to talk to uh, us, they said, we're going to have to put your son under and we're probably going to have to cut his arm open. And even if we don't cut his arm open, we're going to have to yank on the arm to get the, sorry if you get a little queasy, we're going to have to yank the, the arm, you know, apart to get the bones to realign back up. And, and as a father, as a parent, you're like, I can't imagine allowing anybody to do that in any other circumstance other than this. But we said, yeah, you know, take my son, give him medicine, knock him out cold, and then yank on his arm to get his bones matched up. We did that, we allowed that because we knew that a surgeon, a surgeon wounds us in order to heal us, doesn't he? A doctor sometimes has to put us through pain in order to make us whole and complete. And that's what we see happening here with God. God is taking his people through this season of immense pain, immense brokenness, immense hurt. But he's doing it because he has a good plan. And his plan doesn't look like what they would have thought it would. But he has a good plan, and he's working it for their good. And I wonder about you. I wonder about all of us. I wonder, as we now are God's people, those of us who have our faith and trust in Christ, as we are God's chosen people, have you ever been in one of those moments where you say, God, what in the world are you doing? God, how could this be your plan? Because it's certainly not what I would have thought that it would have been. How, how could you put me through this pain? How could you put me through this trial? I remember being in different situations like that in, in my life where, where God may bring pain into our lives. I remember I've shared with you before where my wife and I, we've, we've had miscarriages before. And in those moments, you say, God, I know you have a plan. I know you're working something good in this, but man, it just doesn't seem like the way that I would have drawn it up. Maybe you lost a job and you're in that moment and you say, God, this isn't the plan I would have. 
Maybe you're having a conflict with a family member or friend that you love dearly and you feel wronged. And yet you know God's in control. You know he's working a good plan for your life. And you say, God, how in the world can you do it? You see, so oftentimes we get so focused on our life being fair. So oftentimes we look at God and we say, well, if you give that person a relationship, then you probably need to give me a relationship. If you give that person a good job, then you need to give me a good job. And whatever the case may be, oftentimes we look at God and we say, God, how could you give that person something without giving it to me? That doesn't seem fair. God, do you actually have a good plan? We see from the book of Exodus that God has a good plan, but it rarely works out the way that we think it should. And so the question then becomes, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Do we push God away and say, God, listen, I can't imagine that this is your plan. I can't imagine that you're actually loving me and showing me your grace. Or do we draw close to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you, even though your plan doesn't look like mine. Let's jump back into Exodus chapter 2 for this third point. Exodus chapter 2 says this. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him there for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, and she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him, and then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it. And she opened it, and she saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse your baby for you? Yes, she said, Go. And so the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay for you. And so the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him, Pharaoh's daughter, and became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. See, third is this. God's plan is always better than ours. God always has a plan. It rarely looks like what we think it should, but it's always better than ours. And we see God starting to work his plan in this moment where Moses gets drawn out of the water. And, and it's almost like just amazing miracle to see how in the world that could have possibly happened because Moses gets sent into the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's like this mass murderer who's literally killing every Israelite boy. Pharaoh's daughter somehow has a soft heart. Her dad's like a, a psychopath serial killer and yet she has a soft heart and she sees this infant that she's supposed to hate, that she's supposed to want to exterminate and she says, no, I'm gonna bring him in to my house and care for him, and love him like he's my own. And so now we see one of God's people ending up in the household of Pharaoh because God was working his good plan, even though it didn't look like what they thought it ever would. You know, it's so hard in those moments where we're going through pain or brokenness or trials to actually trust God. But when we do, it releases us to live in freedom and joy and just submit to him in the journey and in the process. I, I, a pastor friend of mine gave me this advice 
have a preteen daughter. She's 11, you know, she's going to be a teenager soon, uh, Allison, and she uh, is amazing. All my kids are amazing, but she's a preteen, so we're starting to get to that point where sometimes me or Sarah, we say things and, and we tell her things that she may not agree with, right, that she doesn't necessarily want to follow sometimes. Not very often, but sometimes. And so uh, the advice I was given was this. Uh, I sat down and I said, Allison, hey, um, I want to ask you a question. Are you smarter than Isaac, your six-year-old brother? And she's like, why are you asking me that? You know, what's up with that? And I'm like, no, you know, just answer the question. She, she thought I might be setting her up, and I was. So I said, you know, are, are you smarter than your five-year-old brother, Isaac? And, and she's like, yeah. You know, is that the right answer? And I'm like, no, no, just answer freely, you know. Don't have to be humble. Are you smarter than him? She's like, yeah, I am. And I said, well, why are you smarter than him? And she's like, because I'm older, you know. I've lived life a little bit longer. Uh, She's like, I read more books. I've been in school a lot longer. I'm smarter than him because I've uh, I've been around longer than him, I guess. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so if I ever tell you to do something and maybe you're not that excited about it, do you think the same principle would apply, you know? She's like, I see what you're saying. (laughs) I get where you're going with that. And I was just having fun. We were actually joking about it. But as I was thinking about that, then I thought, what about for us and God? What about for us and the creator of the universe, the one who is here before the foundations of the world? Do you think that that same principle would be true for us and him as well? Do you think the fact that he actually created everything that we see to this day, he might know a little bit better than us what is actually good for us? even when it doesn't make sense to us. See, my daughter, there's things that, that we won't let her do that just don't make sense in her mind sometimes. But it's because we have a good plan for her life. And we are hoping and praying that she grows into the woman that God wants her to be. And the same is true with us and God. As we think about that reality, God has a good plan for our lives. And so the question isn't, does God have a good plan for our lives? The question is, will we trust that his plan is better than ours? Will we trust that no matter what, no matter what, he is working that plan even when it doesn't look like it? And so as we think about that, I want you to think about the situations you might find yourself in. Sometimes painful, sometimes hard. Can you learn to just submit and say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to follow you through it no matter what. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to turn to you. See, as we go back to that promise that God gave Abraham, that he would become a great nation that would bless every single nation, part of that promise is what's going on in Exodus, and part of that promise is what happened about 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. And Jesus is the way that every single nation is blessed. God had a good plan for the people even when they were in slavery. God had a good plan even when they were being exterminated. And that plan was that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to die for you and for me and to make us right with God and restore the world to that original place that it was when Adam and Eve were in the garden. That's the story of Exodus. God promises us amazing, abundant life. And when we walk with him and we trust him, no matter what the world around us looks like, we get to walk in that freedom that he has for us. And so our prayer, our heart, our hope for all of us today is that we would know that God is good, that he loves us, and that he will always keep his promises.
is worth trusting. Let's pray.